I won't know how many heads Gordon hit with footballs now for default with the whole of Dunoon. Uh, that's an interesting story. I kind of feel like we, need, <laughs> we do need to know that. <laughs> we'll backtrack yeah. to that one. Yeah, <laughs> That's why all the neighbours left. The Webster's driving them away. Sounds like <laughs> The Simpsons or something. <laughs> the Webster's. <laughs> and the... Uh, pretty similar in a lot of ways now I think of it. Oh dear, oh dear. Alrighty. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here for another thrilling, tantalising episode of the Bond Daft Project. Ranking Bond continues. Today we are here to discuss the women of Bond. The Bond girls, I suppose you could say, as they're most widely known. Uh, yeah, we are here for a discussion on our favourites as well as the ones that don't quite, you know, weren't... I'd say it weren't as iconic, let's say. This is, first of all, a major disclaimer here. Um, this is not a ranking of the looks of these women. There was no way that is... It's obvious they're all lovely, gorgeous women. This is nothing like that. We're talking about the characters, the how were the iconic, things like that. And, and that usually entails performance and the writing. And for this discussion, joined by my usual Bond aficionados, Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo. Gordon Webster. Good afternoon, Mr. Barry. And Steve McCall. A very good afternoon to uh, you all. Steve, uh, you actually made me kind of kind of internally smile there because when you were talking about ranking the Bond women, the women of Bond in terms of looks, I was just imagining like talking about the Bonds, like how handsome each one was. I feel like we need like to the idea like of a, it is absurd. Yeah, you know? like an OK magazine style, like let's all rank her. You know, <laughs> uh, no, uh, nothing like that. This is uh, our because initially I will say I had a slight issue with this category. I wasn't sure if we should do this, all that kind of stuff. But I came round to it on the basis that. The Bond girl is a thing, um, and yeah, to ignore it actually would be also not great. So this is a, w- a way to do it, but it's it's more about the ones that the, the icons of the franchise. There are so many of these um, fantastic characters that uh, it's great we want to celebrate. So this is our way to do that, uh, and th- this one will again be the sort of discussive type one. We're not going to do the debating to get to the the ranking of the top three where it's just literally our our favorites just round table discussion um with a probably a general basis on the type I think the thing is with the bond the bond women they do tend to fall into a sort of formula don't they there's like a structure of maybe three types maybe and some break out of that which is the, probably the better ones but the traditional ones certainly fall into the standard three um Usually, uh, I would say. Anyway, we can go into that in more detail, and then we'll also talk about the ones that uh, definitely didn't work. And 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 my, I would say the ones that don't work. It's usually the writing that has not served them. So it's not necessarily the actress. There's no, there's not many cases where I feel the the actress was the the the, fo- the fault of the film. It was lit. It's usually always the writing. We've discussed it in all the podcasts before. It will come back up. Right. Where do we start, Fran? Let's, okay. let's uh where where do you want to start here with, with this uh anyone you want to bring up as your kind of top the ones you feel should be discussed as the, the best of the, the Bond women? Um yeah, I mean I think you probably know what at least one of them's gonna be. Uh but the, I mean it might be an idea for me to, to, to mention my position on this whole thing anyway, so sure. that it's clear why I've made the choices. Mm-hmm. So um I've always felt it's like a variation on what you've said that there's a number of things going on. So the, the phenomenon of the Bond girl has evolved in the Bond franchise. It's also evolved in terms of how people see it and how excited they get by that. 
because over the the years, I mean, you'd, it's kind of fun for the tabloids, isn't it, to have who's going to be the new Bond, who's going to be the next Bond girl, that kind of thing, and it's yep. a bit of the hype machine for the films. Mm-hmm. Um. But the, the they have evolved, and there is a few types of them. I would say, for me, really, there's two types. There's boring and interesting Bond <laughs> girls, right? So there's, you know, which is again nothing to do with how they look, because because again, they all are they are consistently beautiful women. I mean, they, they are they're, you know the same as the fact that you don't have a kind of a a sort of middle aged paunch shaped balding man playing Bond. Do you know what I mean? Like you, Bonds look yeah. a certain way, Bond girls look a certain way. They're yeah. glamorous, well dressed, like like quite cultured or quite dangerous or whatever. Like there's a there's a thing there. Which I but you know, across the board with the Bond films, I'm happy with that style. Do you know what I mean? I think it's just that kind of sexy style that the whole thing has. Like the vehicles He's not driving a Fiat, is he? Do you know what I mean? Well, he Even does like, actually, like, but so anyways. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean the the Bond vehicle. Like, when you talk about the iconic Bond vehicles, they're, they're plush, luxuriant, beautiful, everything is. Anyway, so looking through the Bond girls, uh, there are some that I found quite interesting because because of a combo of a few things. So for for instance, right, there's Tiffany Case from Diamonds Are Forever, right, and I find her to be quite interesting because do you? That's uh, but but this I'm is a very specific. It's a very specific reason, right? Okay. So it's the fact that when she was written, right, which was a very long time ago, that they actually decided to give her her own motivations and her own uh, mercenary uh, thing that she was doing. Do you know what I mean? She was she was, but you know, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, I think I mean, they I, they started that way. The film had a had a clear sort of idea of what that character was, but then they forgot that. T- towards the end of the film like i, f- I feel with her they- there was a clear uh lack of consistency with her character and that's one of the things that annoys me about her that she well, yeah, becomes yeah. A- she she reverts back to the old even the, the, and, and that's even a disservice to the older like films i think they had better characters in even honey rider and uh, tatiana and things like that so well, think... we're not talking about. I don't think that in her case it's a favourite for me. I think it's more of a of an interesting note, you know, to note that that she had that. Um, obviously, I mean, she, her, she wanted to make basically what she wanted to do was to to get rich and and get rich through crime. Do you know what I mean? And I I, I guess it's an interesting side note, I suppose. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't say she's by any stretch my favourite, but I know that nobody else is going to bring her up. No, I mean, well. I mean, she would. Uh, for it would have came up in the conversation for one of the ones that I don't think works for me. But obviously, I've made that clear anyway now. But no, fair enough. This is your nomination. That that's a fair fair reasoning for that. Um, mm. You know, I I just I don't know if it's Jill St John herself or or it's mostly the writing really um, that didn't serve her well for me anyway. But Diamonds Are Forever is full of that. Plenty of tool is even worse. I know what a name as well. Ugh. What a name! I mean, who on earth would call their child that? Do you know what I mean? Who? What? Plenty. Anyway, right. Yeah. So are we going to? I mean, even without the 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 innuendo, it doesn't make any sense. Do you know what I mean? But anyway, so then we move into a more serious. This is a very good Bond girl type, which would be uh, Waylon from Tomorrow Never Dies. Yep, completely agree. So. And and the reason I'm doing this is because I can kind of segue from someone like Tiffany Case, where as you've pointed out, she wasn't fully formed and the writing failed her a wee bit. But then we move on, what twenty, thirty years down the line, 
You've got someone like Waylon. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So so you can see from what there's an evolution there. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And I mean. In fact, I meant to mention to Gordon, actually, because you're always following the Bond alumni around, but Michelle Yeoh is in Star Trek Discovery. Is she? Yeah, uh-huh. I knew that. She's yeah. a series regular. That's She's good. Like... I, I like her. I mean, she was great in Crouching Tiger. I, I, I don't really know her from a lot of other things, but... I, I, thought she was awesome and that I, I mean she's she's obviously she's 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 different now because well she's playing a, an entirely different type of character do you know what i mean and she holds herself slightly different i think because she's because the time has passed she's not she's more kind of an intimidating presence do you know what i mean whereas like when you saw tomorrow never dies i mean i remember seeing michelle you tomorrow never dies and like this is the most beautiful woman i've ever seen mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like um, I mean, she still is um, very attractive, but she's got more of a, it's like a kind of a, a hard edge to her, like, of experience. Do you know how that way when someone's a wee bit older? Yeah, you know? like, she she, um, she brought it just as much as Brosnan at times showing yeah. him up just as much. It was great. I loved that about that. Tomorrow Never I think the um, first two of Brosnan's films, and maybe some in The World's Not Enough, the 90s kind of girl power felt like it really kind of came through in the Bond films. Uh, they started to, the 90s Bond girl it started off really well they sort of gave them a bit more independence and that was an actual intention they did try that it was a kind of intention of the writers and brosnan wanted that as well he'd uh, asked i think for the writers to try and give paris carver uh terry hatcher's character that sort of like a bit more going on a bit of a history a bit more drama behind some that's the thing paris carver was like the ultimate like the ultimate version of the helpless one, wasn't she really? I mean, it was like, it was unbelievable. I mean, yeah, yeah, obviously Michelle Yeoh is uh, playing uh, Waylon is completely different to that. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I mean, the thing about it is, right, that, there's, that it doesn't feel, it's not a roll your eyes, oh, here we go. Like, you can, be, I mean, this woman, Michelle Yeoh, is a martial artist, yeah. right? So you believe what she's doing, right? I mean, martial artists, like, you get it with men as well. We tiny guys throwing folk around, like, flipping them through the air and all this kind of thing, like, like giant folk. Like, it's not unbelievable. Like, it's definitely not, like, a... It's not patronising to women either. It's no, not... It doesn't no. come off like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, imagine, imagine someone coming along and patting you in the head and going, well done, Steve, see, you can do anything. You know what I mean? You'd be like, oh, come on, leave me alone. It doesn't come off like that in the film at all. It comes off like... This is like exactly what a communist country would do as well, right? Because I think the weird thing about like China and Russia and all that is that they're in a in a sort of terrible way they're less sexist. So it's like you know, say um, uh, like women and men will take equal risks in a communist country. Like the government is going to conscript women into the army as much as men. Do you know what I mean? Everybody's equal in these places. Like you can believe that China would have someone like Whelan then and now and probably before that. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's the, that sort of, um, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how to describe it. Like in the World of War Two, in World of War Two, the World of War Two. Why did I say that? In World of War Two, the Soviets had women in their army. Do you know what I mean? Whereas the West would never have done that. So it's that it's it's an indicator of that realism to me. Like, uh, you know, I can f- I can fully believe every aspect of that character from like how she, how and why she's there to her abilities to like how she she's had played. she had her own Q lab she essentially was Q as well she had all those yeah. amazing gadgets and things like that which I loved that scene yeah that was great it really was I mean I do think there was a couple of bits where it got a wee bit silly like sometimes but that wasn't her 
It was just the film. Like there was a couple of wee bits where like it's, things were happening. It's the scenes with her in, or just in general? No, just just in general. But oh I, yeah, yeah, definitely. I the film is not perfect, but I think almost the second half is the better half, and that is mostly with her in it. So do you want to hear my number one? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to get Stephen Barry to reach into my brain and tell me the name I'm thinking of. Uh. Oh right. Okay. Uh. Well, this could go really one of two ways because there's two films that you absolutely love. Well, three actually. So, um, I'm going to take a shot at Tracy. Do you want to see what's on my screen? Do you want to see what I'm looking at right now with just love and adoration? Look at that face Yeah, there. Diana. Diana right. Yep. yep. Yeah. So, Tracy. Now, again, this is almost like, to me, the kind of ultimate thing, like, in terms of... It's the, it's the ultimate expression of a number of different things, right? So... Similar, I suppose, what, uh, Waylon has this to a certain extent. There's, it's happened in other ways, but this is a counterpart to Bond, right? Incredibly well written. Um, a, a real fully fleshed character. Yeah. And, and when she was written, right? So there's a, num- a number of fascinations there, right? The fact that she actually, I mean, I get, I get that she had to die and, and that, well, she didn't have to die, but I get what it did. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. But I would have loved it. I would have loved to uh, to see more of what would have happened. Because the thing is, what's interesting with Tracy is that there's a story that in an alternate universe could have continued because what, she was important the, to the, Bond. The Adventures of Bond and the Wife. Well, you never know. I mean, it sounds daft, but I mean, but probably if they called it that, the marketing department probably wouldn't have won a lot of people over. But I can I can picture it in my mind. The next film, like say, um, she like Bond Bond. And her are having this amazing life themselves where they're doing things, obviously, in their own time. And they're traveling and going doing these things. And Bond, you could imagine them working together on things. You could imagine it, even if she wasn't officially part of something. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You could imagine Bond, like, she'd be there to back him up or, you know... Um, do you know what I mean? Like, there'd be, there'd be just things that, that she could do. But um, there's the fact that he retired as well. So that, what, a, what an effect on Bond. Mm-hmm. He retired... Yeah. Uh, are you thinking of Vesper, maybe? Because I don't, I don't think he was actually. Maybe he would have retired. It's a good. I'm sure it's he a, did. It's a, I'm sure it's he retired. A, I think it all happens. Well, he'd kinda, he'd, he kind of, he hadn't really retired for her in the sense that by the end of the film he'd retired. But I know that obviously, did he not try and resign, and then it was kind of sort of money penny. Not actually put it through his organization, but yeah, that's not, did, that wasn't uh, to do with Tracy as such. It was just yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. still I no. Mean, I, the impact for me uh, to weigh in on her character because I would have probably put her again up there as my number one as well. I imagine we all probably feel the same. But uh, she, her death is the only moment in any Bond film that I would be close to actually kind of shedding a tear or feeling that kind of lump in your throat because they don't ever. As much as I get thrills from watching the films and sometimes if i've had a drink and i'm watching goldeneye i'm in, i'm on a high but it's not the same like it's not an emotional high in the sense that like i'm actually really moved by the scenes um that 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 scene though with the you know the way that it was shot the way it was played the music everything or the quietness of it um that that moment is is the only moment i would say that has had an emotional impact that's yeah <laughs> I mean, they've it, never they've never really captured that again. But that that's the thing. I mean, I think 
in my mind, there is no Bond. There's no woman who's played any character in any Bond film who's as important as that character. And I mean, I, I know it's not the topic we're talking about, but it just once again, I mean, Honor Majesty's Secret Service is is almost, almost impossibly good at times. Do you know what I mean? Like it. I, it's, it really is, in many ways... Just it's the, got many good things about it, definitely. I, I mean, you know, and actually, to be honest, I, I think the film pivots around Diana Rigg more than it does Lazenby. I think her character's more important. I think she's the emotional core to that film. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you know what I mean? that's why they hired her, wasn't it? I mean, essentially, they needed an experienced act, actor to kind of guide him through the film he was an unknown he was inexperienced completely didn't he just do like adverts before yeah so suddenly being a leading man in a franchise an established blockbuster franchise is was crazy actually when you think about that what they did casting him that was insane Um, i think a lot of the help was from peter hunt as well he has admitted that he has admitted though diana rigg Mm-hmm. all the things they, she's done had yeah really really helped him through it mm-hmm. yeah i mean and bear in mind i mean they would have they would have been working very closely together mm-hmm. anyway do you know what i mean like with the fact that there's the character you know the relationship between the characters in the movie and the amount of scenes they would have to do yeah but um yeah i mean yeah i, I don't know I, it's kind of funny with with diana Rigg tracy in the sense that i almost don't know I'm not. I, I'm at a loss for words to say sometimes what I'm trying to say about how good she actually is as an actor and as a character and in that movie and how the movie pivots around that. It was a perfect combination of actor, performance, writing. That's what elevates her performance. And I think you have a focus on her because you've got this new bond and you're still kind of not sure where you're at with him like what's you know he only got the one film it's a shame we would it was, we would, i do wish he got at least another film to see how his how he would have done um do you know do you know what's interesting actually as well and, and it's what you were saying because i didn't really want to talk about but now that we've talked about tracy and the actress Cyanuric, right and and how how she fits into the film and all those kinds of things i wanted to i do want to talk about the death scene myself now because i didn't want that to be the focus of the discussion. But no, on, no, it's not, it's not I mean? the focus. For me, the focus is all this thing yeah. she did. She was this. She was in stunts. She her character was just as um, act, she did all the action and things like. That. She was the one that was driving in the car chase sequences. All that stuff. That to me yeah. is what I remember of her. And yeah, but then it slightly I, is I just, maybe overshadowed. I just feel it's important it. for yeah. I just feel it's important for me to point out that I'm going to say it as an addendum because it's because I'm talking about the scene now more than her, but. Right. Because she didn't really do that much acting in it, that she was dead. But um, but so yeah. I mean, honestly though, I mean that scene as well, right? So just I'll take a second to kind of add my two cents or two pence or whatever British style um to this about that scene. But yeah, I mean, let's let let's use comparison to to show how good this scene was, right? So um, Gordon, you mentioned Vesper and. Obviously, Vesper dies, doesn't she, in Casino Royale, and she's in that cage type thing, isn't she, or whatever. It's locked and it falls into the sea, right? Now, there was an emotional impact to bo- to seeing that in the cinema of what happened to Vesper Lind, right? But it doesn't scratch the surface of what happened in the scene with Tracy, right? Now, 
if I was to compare those two scenes, I feel like the Vesper Lind one was maybe slightly overly dramatic. The fact that she's still conscious as she's under the water, and there's some kind of overly thing where she's trying to say something or something like that, and it's like blah blah blah. But see the uh, the stark horror of what happened to Tracy at the end of that film, right? It was realistic in the sense that death is not death is not romantic fucking Hollywood style stuff, right? Death is one minute you're sitting next to the person you love, the next minute they're fucking dead. Do you know what I mean? And you are you are reeling from that, right? Not that it's saying we're all going to experience this in our lives, do you know what I mean? But I've seen a video before, right? I saw a video online one time. It's one of those ones where like now you get those clickbaity videos and things like that and you you know, like accident or something news story type kind of thing, right? And do you, ever, you probably experienced this where you've seen something you think, I wish I'd never actually seen that, right? Because it was just so terrible. But And it's not gruesome, so I'm not going to like gore you out or anything, but it was exactly like this, right? So a guy's driving along in Russia with his girlfriend in the passenger seat at the front, right? And a truck goes by, and then it's got these big metal rods in it, and one of them comes flying out and goes flying backwards, goes right through the window and kills his girlfriend right beside him. And it's on dash, it's on, like the car, car's got a dash cam, so you can hear him screaming and you know, trying to, like, you know what I mean? Now, that's reality. That's the kind of things that happen out there, right? One minute he's driving along with his girlfriend, the next minute she's gone. Or his wife, right? yeah. yeah. Right? Just, just, just gone, right? It's not a heartfelt moment where he's staring into her eyes as she's in a cage, and blah, blah, blah. You know, I think that's what happened in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, is that it really captured that. It, it, the reason it affects you so much is because you think to yourself, God. And also, Lazenby's reaction is like, yeah. not... not He's at first he's sort of refusing to believe yeah. she's dead almost because he's when the when the cop pulls over he says oh she's just having a rest uh-huh. and then yeah. it just the display and the same similar with Vesper there, there's a lot of parallels between the two of them it's like the debt you see the desperation in Bonds when he's trying to resuscitate her I think yeah I kind of see though Fran's point that the the the, the Vesper scene was a bit more over the top and dramatic and a bit unrealistic in the sense that so it's less tangible for us to kind of fight feel like what that would be like whereas uh-huh. could you know a bullet through a, through a window i mean well that's why it's i used not, the not like example of the... but certain pl- certain places would certainly that might not be too well, unrealistic well i mean a bullet isn't too different to that accident with the thing coming off the back of the truck you know what i mean it's a, something you know what i mean like it's something i think that i think the word for it is it's relatable in the sense that it's something that yeah. we would probably Every every one of us would have reacted the same as Bond. And yeah, that's the. I mean, that's probably the, that's the only time he's cried, isn't it? That's Bond is actually crying in the scene. I'm sure. Uh, I don't know if it was actually shown. I know Lazenby the actor was, but I'm sure there was a tear, um, which is obviously not usually a, a Bond thing. That's not the sort of thing that Bond has done before or after. I don't think. Uh, you know, I've just I've just realised as well. By the way, I'm sorry to interrupt. My section's taken nearly. Half an hour, like 40 minutes almost. So, uh, it's fine. Uh, we can all weigh in as well, just uh, weigh in the discussion. But um, I was going to say something. Yeah, just finishing like on her as well. The I feel like the reason you're hurt by it is because of her performance and her character. You've seen so much of her. You've got you've you've you felt. I think I said this in the podcast. You fall in love with her on the over the film, and so yeah. that's why the devastation. See if she was say. The Jill St. John character, the one we've mentioned already, Fran, for me, that's uh, uh, the impact wouldn't have been so devastating oh, yeah, yeah. in that way uh-huh. that, because, you know, you didn't really get to know her as well. You don't feel that same atten- sort of kind of attraction or whatever. And that's, well, that's, that's what it is. I mean, that's, that's they did so well with On Her Majesty's. Well, see that, that thing you're saying about like falling in love with her, right? Mm-hmm. She's the only Bond girl I ever have actually 
or thought to myself, if I met that woman, I, I, there would be no question mm-hmm. about that. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I would, I would be doing everything in my power, or or hoping beyond hope that she, that that Tracy would be driving away with me in a car and we would she would get shot. <laughs> you know, say, where are you going with that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> nah, right. Okay, so we'll move on then. Gordon, where, where, where do you want to go with this? Who who do you want to talk about? All right, I got a few, Mister Barry. Um, yeah, I'll give brief mention. I was going to mention a couple others. Brief mention to Tracy Bond and Vesper, and yeah, I just I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think they both have such a key role in changing Bond. I mean, women aren't supposed to. Bond's character, it it goes from film to film, and they're not really meant to change his life. But these these and uh, these were two rare instances of both of them changed his life. Bond was prepared to retire with Vesper. He didn't want anything to do. The Secret Service was his life, and she just completely changed him. And obviously, just incredible chemistry. Eva Green and Daniel Craig between the two of them. And again, with with uh, with Diana Rigg as well. And Tracy was she was such a strong Bond girl. She whereas she she Tracy would was you know she could hold her own. Unlike a lot of the the Bond ladies, she was she didn't rely on Bond to help her through situations. She's like driving the car across the ice rink. She's, you can even see her like smiling and chucking to herself as she she's disposing of all these enemies. Bond's not even doing anything, right? Um, then she's 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 making her own escape from Blofeld's hideaway. She's fighting. She kills Gunther, who's one of Blofeld's henchmen, and and there's a whole thing about just her being a very kind of troubled woman as well. And and Bond, uh, Bond, the fact that Bond changed her so much, you know, she Draco, her father, was obviously saying like she's she's going through some hard times and. And she's so different, and it was just yeah, she she just completely changed Bond's life. And, and I got to say, so on the point that Tracy's obviously hard as nails. If you were if you were a bloody Draco's daughter, you would be hard as nails. He's the head of the biggest, the second biggest crime syndicate in the world. So I totally agree about Tracy um, and Vesper. Very very, they're really up there, man. Um, I would also mention going on a slightly different tangent here. I want to first mention Holly Goodhead out of Moonraker, played by Lois Childs. Mm-hmm. And and it's the whole thing similar to what we have with Wei Lin. She's like the same sort of job as Bond almost, but with a with a, a different um a different world power. She's she's with the CIA, all the parallels between the two of them, the constant one upmanship. She's she's Holly's even often ahead a step ahead of Bond. There's a whole thing like when when her and Bond I think it's when they sleep together for the first time anyway in the hotel. And Bond's sneaking away in the morning thinking that she doesn't know. But the second Bond's out of that hotel room, Holly's got one eye open. She knows what's going on. And she's all, and then she's like phoning the porter to take her suitcase down. So that co- the constant one-upmanship between the two of them, she, you know, Bond has really met his match with her. And I think very similar to Anya, obviously, the film preceding that and The Spy Who Loved Me. I think they're both great, really. Um, I feel with Holly, she's a bit more kind of cool and calm. The likes of, I think Anya Amasova is great, but she's maybe kind of too easily spooked. You see, like the whole thing with she's meant she's meant to be a a, a Russian secret service agent, but you know she's easily. It was pretty frightening when Jaws comes out of the cupboards on the train, but you would you might I don't know if she maybe seemed a bit too easily spooked, and then you've got the whole thing with uh, there was another bit with Anya which was sort of easily. It was like when. The, at the end of the spy who loved me, um, and I think she's a great character. I'll reiterate, but 
when the waves are like coming in, when the Atlantis base is going down, she's like screaming. And rather Bond's like forging his way into the escape pod and she's um it's like she's getting kind of scared. And you think if she's like a sort of um on our secret service agent, you would think they would you would think she would maybe be a uh, but that's but that's me really trying to compare the two because I think they're both. I wanted to kind of mention both. I them, remember but... Fran made a good point on the podcast for the Spy Who Loved Me that she mentions you know she was cold and all these kind of stuff and he's got to put the jacket around or whatever. I can't remember, but it was like yeah, a Russian secret service agent suddenly is cold and yeah. whatever it was the in the desert or something like that. I can't exactly. <laughs> like the, yeah, again, that's it's not... the writing that let let her down, and and I said it as well yeah. at the time. I really wish they had the. The, I don't know. I don't know how it would have worked, maybe with the, the Roger Moore Bond, but I did really want her to be, you know, for the the, the dramatic thing at the end where she's actually now going to try and kill him, and she becomes kind of like a villain or something, like the final. Yes. The, I think that'd been really exciting. Like it's that, and if they played it up towards the end as well, like you know, either well they want it, but it's just she just gives in and it's like, yeah, let's just. Do you know? Do you know? Other, it's really weird actually, um, because uh, they live by John Carpenter has that precise thing happen where there's your main character and a, a sort of female ally or, or whatever character, and then it, towards the very end, she betrays them all. You know what I mean? And it's it's shocking, mm-hmm. but it's great. It's really, really well done. In fact, I'd highly recommend that film. I mean, have you, has any of you have any of you seen it? I've spoiled it for you now. Yeah, has any of you seen it? No, no. Uh, no, I don't need well, to see it. Just, <laughs> I'll be seen well, now. Well, well, honestly, by the time you watch it, you'll have forgotten what I've said because it's 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 not like yeah. the whole plot goes around that, but it is a, a classic. But it is a good example. I just wanted to throw in that example there of mm-hmm. that, exactly what Steve is talking about that it really, really, really works. I'll need to do a disclaimer at the beginning of this podcast for they live. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah so, sorry everybody. Yeah. Uh, uh, I um. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I don't even know what to say, uh, Gordon. Um, yeah. So sorry, I interrupted you there. Well, yeah. Just, I mean, to finish on that. See, I think, I think. So I think there's three of the sort of contemporary agent category Bond women: Waylon, um, Holly Goodhead, Anya Massive. I guess Vesper maybe because well, I think she works for the Treasury. But we'll say solid ones: Holly, Anya, and Waylon. They're all pretty solid. Um, I would say the three of them, and it might surprise people. Yeah, it would be Holly Goodhead would be the best out of those because I just feel she has maybe she's the calm and collected type. So I think she's maybe more suited to you know being a field agent as you know in a similar level to Bond. So I, I think she's maybe not. She I think Lois Chills maybe gets a bit a bit of criticism in some quarters, but I and I think she acts really well in that film. And uh, yeah, it's I just enjoy it. the whole chemistry between her and Roger Moore, and that that leads me on quite nicely to the the last one, last or main one I was going to mention was going to be. Octopussy, but played by Maud Adams, mm-hmm. and I think the the best thing about Octopussy's character is the I think it's the fact that she is a criminal and she's a leader and she's she's not she's maybe not there's a whole you get the impression that she's going to be a villainess and a femme fatale, and she's uh, she's just got this allure about her. She's um, like Tracy, you know, real run one of the stronger Bond women. She's she's a gymnast and. She she can she take you see her taking on people on her own. She shows up at Kamal Khan's house later on in his palace, holding him at gunpoint, and 
she kinda, you know she kind of feels like a, an extension or sort of, or or something from Honor Blackman, the kind of pussy galore type character, like sort of yeah her own. She's got people working for her, female, and they're all sort of independent, all that kind of sort of mysterious, all that kind of stuff. I think mm. I get the feeling that she's kind of like in that line of characters, which is quite quite cool. Yeah, because yeah, you're right, Steve. Because the, the whole thing with her and Pussy Galore, you don't really know if she's gonna be a, a femme fatale and if she's really on bond. Both of them start off like they're they're the people bonds up against, mm-hmm. very similar, and it's only towards the end. They, they they actually help they both help Bond immensely to to accomplish his mission. But Octopussy, she's just she's so alluring, obviously absolutely gorgeous, more damage, but which has nothing to do at all with my uh, um, inclusion it, here. It's, but... fine, it's fine to state it. There's nothing wrong with I know, it. I can't, I can't <laughs> it's help. not like we can't say that they're, they're all gorgeous, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so the whole thing, yeah, just portrays a villain. You know the 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 way they you got to you know really thank the wardrobe team with. Sorry, I don't want that to sound a smutty way, but I would, the way, like, for exa- her, for example, the is giving that the sort of alluring look. She's very unique because she wears the, the sort of, um, you know, dresses she wears are more of the sort of Indian culture, and obviously she looks very, she's white, Caucasian, but she has she has her own palaces. And it's also with so many characters, male and female, in the Bond franchise, it's like hearing about this person long before you actually see them, that the character's built up, man, because really er- quite early in the film, you hear... I said, oh, this is where the mysterious octopus stays. She stays in this island, populated only by women. It's like the way, even if you think about it, how, remember how Earl and Dr. No, they're, they're talking about um, how Dr. No is a private island and nobody can go near it. They do a similar thing with, with Octopus's island. And she's the only and one that, she's the only one that's got a film named after her, isn't it? Exactly. Because uh, that, that adds to it, doesn't it? Yeah, so that, Octopus is built up, and there's you hear about her for so long before you actually see her. It's similar to yeah, Doctor No, countless Bond villains, and and even the way it's shot, man. See when that that I got to say one of the best scenes put on the whole film is Bond's initial meeting with her, and the, from the camera angles you see bits of her, and you, you actually hear her voice when Kamal's talking to her mm-hmm. before you see her. And obviously, Maud Adams is just get she's just get she's just get the perfect voice for whether she was actually gonna be a a, like a villain, villainess, or just your kind of average Bond girl companion. But like I said, you know, wardrobe's very important. Not, not from a smutty point of view, I guess a guy would always say, oh, I like what the wardrobe did, the, did with certain girls. But I, I think just... Yeah. Like, I, don't think you're, I don't think you're saying it in the way that she's just wearing a... If you're saying it because she was yeah, wearing well, a bikini, like Jill St. John yeah. again, like, it'd so, be a bit that. But I think yeah. you're actually... There's a character. You've, she's got character because of the wardrobe department. Like, that's an ed- added element. Yeah, not just it gives her this very unique look. Obviously, the the sort of um, the, the the different sort of dress, the, those are the dresses from that kind of culture over mm-hmm. over in in India, where a lot of the film is based. And you know, the the gown, the she has that. It's like a sort of silk gown with a big octopus logo. You know, that's just like that makes her look like the ultimate villainess. But it's like it's you, you actually it's that you learn through later in the film she becomes an ally of Bond, amongst other things, but. I think the wardrobe and loads of loads of sections with her it worked really well. She she was a great character. The chemistry between her and Roger Moore just late in his career, similar similar kind of age to not similar age but closer to like what Roger Moore was at the time. I mean, I think like for she really like heightens that that film for me a few notches. Maud Adams, yeah. And you totally, sorry, I was just gonna say quickly like she's so strong in it. She's so strong in it that you totally forget that she was 
she played Miss Anders in, in Man with the Golden Gun only a few films earlier. <laughs> you yeah. know, that says all. Yeah, exactly. And that's obviously, it says a lot about, you know, uh, Maud Adams that they wanted her back. Uh, that You know, that's obviously, I think that's the only Bond girl that's really been returned. Obviously, Sylvia Trench, the very first one, the actress returned as that character and in From Russia With Love. But uh, yeah, Maud Adams. Yeah, no, I completely agree, Gordon. She is a great character. I almost, again, it's that similar thing with the Triple X character. I kind of wish they had that, just make her a villain, like make her... Essentially, I wanted the Electra King in Octopussy, that kind of female villain to... Uh, to be a part of it, but no, as a character, she's still great. Still, all that mystery. Yep, really enjoyed. Now, it. I, I, I will say, I very pointedly didn't mention Electra King because you got to leave some meat on the bone for someone else to talk. But I mean, that is there is a there. I, I have a feeling she's going to come up in great detail, isn't she? That's the thing about the Bond girls, isn't it? We, the, the, we haven't really discussed sort of what I was alluding to at the beginning of the the template. You know, for me anyway, I'll kind of I feel like they usually have the throwaway one at the start that's like literally just in bed with Bond or something um, and sometimes that becomes she's maybe a villain or something as well and then there's usually the sort of the film the middle one they usually have the, the original films anyway I always felt that there was three he sleeps with or they allude to the him sleeping with and the middle one is sometimes maybe a villain or, and it's usually the one that also dies isn't it that, that then gives him some sort of motivation or whatever and then the final one is the the leading one that's seen as the main yeah. Bond girl. Uh, and then obviously complications arise. Some of them t- are villains and are femme fatales, as a lot of the franchise has been, you know, known known for. Um, and that's do you? I, I would certainly include the femme fatale as a Bond girl. They're still Bond girls, Bond women. They are villains, so they will come up in the conversation we'll be having for the next podcast. But they are. There's a few mm-hmm. that you could, yeah, yeah. kind of straddle both. Of- uh, especially Xenia, she likes to mm. straddle. But the, I mean, five, <laughs> five, uh, like, not really going into detail, but just to briefly mention, you've, I'll give you examples. Electra King, um, Fiona Volpe out Thunderball, Mayday, View to Kill, Xenia, Goldeneye, even Helga Brandt, uh, You Only Live Twice, an actual spectre agent. So that's ones, you know, yeah, yeah, they're, they are fantastic villains in their own right for me. Yeah. Uh, is there any more you want to discuss or we come to Steve? Uh, that would be it. Yeah, yeah, I was just. I mean, I was going to say unless. Um, I, I was okay. kind of trying to make it clear. I was. I was also saying that you know Anya Masova played by Barbara Back is really up there for me. But what my point there was that I think like Holly Goodhead it followed very similar lines, but I think Holly just kind of shades her as I, like a con- kind of contemporary agent. I agree completely. Agree. Um, I think yeah, both were coming from off the back of you know, Live and Let Die with Solitaire and The Man with the Golden Gun and the sort of writing for those films. And I think they made a conscious effort to try and, uh, for the Moore era, try and give a bit more independent, stronger characters, a bit more interesting characters, let's face it. And so that they succeeded with Triple uh, X, Anya Amasova, and, and, and again, I think as well, you're completely right, Hollywood had even even better. Uh, so an upward trajectory that then starts to go back down again in the in the later films for... We'll come to those characters, uh, not mentioning BB Dal at all. Yeah, so Steve, which uh, which other ones do you want to mention? Uh, there's a few, yeah. So firstly, the disclaimer about looks just constantly yep. is reminding me of the... Um, I don't know why, it's just constantly reminding me of the uh, Lovely Girls episode of Father Ted. Uh, I, I've not, it's been a while. What, what's that again? Oh, no, it's just, it's just all this stuff about how we're not judging them or how they look. 
right. this is one particular line from Ted, of course, they are. Well, <laughs> I thought we were saving up. I mean, no longer having Father Jack as a guest in the podcast. Uh, yes. Yeah, we need to scrap that episode. <laughs> Damn. Um, but no, in terms of the Bond girls, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that my top three have come out. And that is um, Tracy, Vesper, and Waylon are the top three that I have. And I think that is because when it comes to Bond girls who are allies anyway, what you want is someone who is a match for Bond, someone who there is a little bit of one-upmanship or who he can work with successfully to get the job done. The ones who I think will come up later as among the worst, if you like, of the Bond girls are the ones who are more of a hindrance than a help. The ones who are a bit kind of damsel in distress, like the ones who you find Bond's actually have to work twice as hard to rescue. Um, <laughs> I so, feel like you're just uh, describing the man with the golden gun right I now. Know. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm picturing is her in a little bikini accidentally pressing buttons that's about to <laughs> make it's, that thing go off. Oh, it's just brilliant. It's funny that that's, yeah, in fact, was the man with the golden gun where, was it her arse that yeah. hit the master switch? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that will that will come up, I'm pretty sure, later yeah. on when we, I'm sure we move on to worse. But yeah, in terms of where the ones that you want in terms of his allies are the ones that are a match for him. So, um, the ones that actually, yeah, get the job done with him. In terms of the, I think, uh, Steve, like you alluded to, obviously there are Bond girls that are allies and there are Bond girls from the films that are also the villains. So I think I'm going to mention a couple of those things. They haven't sure. quite come up yet. They've been kind of referenced slightly, but Maydee, from A View to a Kill, mm-hmm. is just ridiculously cool. She's a yep. proper badass. But uh, she kind of, she gets, she, she's a villain, but she's she's kind of on the edge, I suppose, of sort of villain, non-villain. Obviously, she goes in a complete arc, and by yeah. the end of the film, she effectively saves the day kamikaze style, which is one of the coolest ways that any sort of villain has ever gone out. Mm-hmm. But she's she's a villain, but like that that scene, for example, where she ends up kind of, that weird scene where she ends up sleeping with Bonds, but <laughs> yeah. they kind of almost both know that it's, for the job and each of them knows what each other is doing but she kind of goes ah, okay and goes along with it anyway mm-hmm. um but she's just the way she comes in the end sorry the way she <laughs> let me reword that the way that <laughs> we're still talking about that scene with roger Moore in the bed <laughs> what kind of version did you see of that <laughs> she's just coming <laughs> so yeah at the end where she basically wheels that bomb out of the mine and then sits on it to kind of effectively take the brunt of it and make sure no one else is killed what a way to go out i love that so the kind of her arc if you like is fantastic uh and the other one as was sort of just alluded to there is electra king there's not a lot that's good about the world is not enough <laughs> but she is the way she double crosses bond again what you want from i think from a good bond's villain is someone who double crosses them someone who gets the better of bond someone who makes bond as he does smugly think that he's got the upper hand think that he's he knows it on thinks that he's thinks that he knows who the enemy is and then this woman who he thinks has been working with him and whatnot suddenly flips it turns out she's been double crossing him he falls for a hook line and sinker the way yeah. she the reversal of the trope where she sleeps with him for information mm-hmm. and she ends up as the the one with the the one up if you like that's that's practically a moment for celebration in the Bond sort of universe. You're kind of going, yes, finally someone's got the upper hand on him. Yeah. So she, as a as a well written character as well. Um, again, that kind of late Brosnan periods is where they started to kind of go back downhill again with the Bond woman, and they started with the the lazy writing and the poor characters. She is she kind of stands out as one that's actually 
worth a mention because she the way that she takes control and kind of takes the upper hand definitely like the control is taken from bond and it's fascinating it's finally what i've been saying you know the female mastermind as much as it's a power couple certainly uh renard and her um that certainly there's i feel like there's a bit more for independence and power from her side and he's actually really a glorified henchman but he is still a main villain. You could put him up as a main villain as well. I think that's why it's kind of an equal dynamic there. But yeah. it's one of the things that, you're right, Steve, that film, there's not a lot of great things you can say about it. I think it's incredibly average as well at points. It's not so bad. that it's. But I was watching it recently and I can still enjoy parts of it. But there's so many times where I'm almost frustrated knowing if they just cut here, like the preamble is so long, all these kind of things. I won't go into it because there's a separate podcast we'll be getting to when we talk about the film. But that's what's frustrating about that film because you're right, the central core of the Electra character, that could have been fascinating if they really nailed all of everything else around her. That could have been a fantastic film. But they and that's of, been they, they lost it. That's been an issue with a lot of the Bond girls. They've kind of the writing's been done relatively well, but they're almost still in a lot of cases overtaken by a more sort of mediocre male character. So in the world is not enough. Obviously, Renard's practically the main villain. He's the one in charge. But if they just pushed it slightly and given Electra King a little bit more and made her the sort of top of the tree bad person. Yeah. Yeah. It almost could have elevated that film even more. And there's a lot of cases where if, with some of the border girls, if they just pushed it a little bit more and not kind of forced a situation where she had to submit to Bond or where there was another sort of man in the background actually controlling it all, well, it could, the th- there could be some legitimately brilliant characters there. Well, I mean, Shakespeare did it like hundreds of years ago in Macbeth. I mean, you have situations where... I mean, Electra King could really have been like a manipulator power behind the throne type character that, I mean, this is not something, the best writer that ever existed did things like that. So, the Electra, I want to kind of focus on the Electra King, right? So, isn't she kind of the the mastermind in the end? Is, is I know, it, but, but yeah, she, she is. is yes. She is, but it's not as... It's not clear cut. The film, to me, the, one of the I was watching this film, that film's plot is really hard to get into. It's really hard to understand who is making decisions and why things are happening. I, I was like, oh God, so what's the motivation for that again? Why is that leading to that? Like, I really struggle with that one. Um, they could have made that a lot more explicit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they could have and they should have, and, and I agree with that. But at the same time, weirdly enough, I think for people like ourselves, you know, we we look into films and we we watch them closely. I think there's a, there is enough there to enjoy her to the extent we, and her character to the extent we were able to talk about her like this. I do think it could have been better. It could have been more explicit for sure. I think. I think yeah. as well though, like the actress man. What's the actress's name Sophie, again? Sophie Marceau. Just incredible. Um. And and see the see her eyes see see the the intensity sometimes from her. Um, I say actress. I keep forgetting just to say actor for everybody. I managed to do it earlier on. Um, what else was there? The death, her death. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be one of the most brutal, it's... cold scenes ever. Yeah. Rosalind, it is coldest. I think. Yeah. They uh, that that was a good thing they did. I, I almost wish they had reversed the way that somehow I don't know how they would have done it, but. I wish that she was the final death because that always feels like that's the main villain and they sort of killed her off a bit earlier. But for shock value, sure as hell, that was a great moment. Cause well, no see, when you, see, she didn't expect it. You're not going to kill me. Uh-huh. You couldn't do it. And she's taunting him. She's playfully yeah. taunting him. Yeah. That's what I loved about her character. 
Um, um, do, do, you know, do you know? Yeah. It's funny. It's, see, when you look at Renard, when you look at him, when you start to see Electra King as the the one who's in control, right? Really, okay. And I love that idea of somebody who's a victim actually being the manipulator. Right? It's such a strong idea, but um, you <laughs> don't blame the victim except Electra King, do you know what I mean? But anyway, um, so <laughs> Renard... <laughs> it was fact to shoot her to death, you know. But Renard, right, when you look at it through that lens, Renard becomes even more absurd and ludicrous, right? Because here we have a guy, as I said before, who lives in a fire cave, do you know what I mean? Who who picks up rocks and burns himself, Who who, who whose entire life and existence is just so implausible. Do you know what I mean? Like everything about him is just absolutely... I mean, can you or, or I, I... I can't really even remember. I know that he... Kid, didn't he kidnap Electra King and hold her for ransom or something like that? Yeah. So so what, what was what was Renard's actual objectives again? Because he was so uninteresting to me that I can't even really remember. Yeah. Um, like, what did he actually Gordon, want? you might be better at sort of deciphering. <laughs> Essentially, M had sent uh, an agent to kill him the bullet went into his head. He'd kidnapped Electra for a ransom. And this was years before when she was younger. Aye, I was yeah. about to say, Steve's just disappeared on us because his picture was hilarious that way it froze. I don't know if you'd seen that. <laughs> yeah. um, he looked like he was really enjoying this story. Um, uh, okay, so it's the start stuff with the money and the ransom and the pin and all of that that i really struggle with like how did so bond's got the the glass and he's just touching his his hands and then he re, suddenly works out what's happened it wasn't I clear still, i was just chuckling because i still can't even totally get my head around it i mean <laughs> i know i know i know see that bit that was clever because obviously bond that's a that's like Bond from the books. But um, what he I, notices something a split second. But yeah, but like why, what, why, why? What was it about the alcohol that he worked out? You know, he touches his fingers as if it was something yeah. like. I, well, I, I honestly don't get it. It's well that particular bit is because the chemical used to make this explosive, which turned out to be the within the money in King's suitcase. Um, Bond, when he was having the drink, he must have he noticed some sort of chemical reaction because the ice fizzed. I think. And then he touched a bit and he realised something to do with the froth. It, it was a certain sort of chemical using an explosive. And then he's like, King, the money! And then he goes running. So oh, that's nice. that's really good. But the whole thing about the I, ransom demand, um, I'm not, I still don't totally get it. I know that the money that basically was a personal thing with them because although she wasn't really supposed to because she was a friend of King's, she, I think she um, like helped King to maybe pay them the money for her ransom demand. But that was also the same amount of money that Bond had to yeah. Um, get back. So I still, I, I don't totally get that really. Yeah. Um, the, it, it, the domination of the, the domination of the the world's oil supply was all kind of purely through Electra, and I'm not. Yeah, I still don't totally get the the whole ransom part of it. But apart from the fact that she got reverse Stockholm syndrome and became drawn to Renard, I feel like that plot is inaccessible in some ways. It's just frustrating because there is core ideas that are great, but overly complicated and overly silly Renard's character I think I don't think you could completely take him out I think he's still I like Robert Carlyle I would never want to see him out the film but in the, some elements maybe he compli- over complicates it it could have been more I don't know I suppose you need a decoy because the whole point is you can't market the film with her as the villain the whole point is that she's a surprise villain so you have to have the face of the villain like Renard yeah, they are. So I get that. That's why it's the power couple idea. Do you know, do do you know like. what this uh, uh, fucking film is so stupid in some ways, right? <laughs> see that 
See the idea of like it's almost like the the people that wrote it got mixed up and thought they thought to themselves, see if you lose the sense of feeling, then you become like immortal. Do you know what I mean? It's like they in their minds they they kind of paired it up together because it's it's so implausible. Well, also, how does he get around? Like, I mean, imagine you had no sense of feeling. You wouldn't be able to feel the ground. You wouldn't be able to feel it. You'd be falling all over the place all the time, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's nuts. It'd be, you know. All right. And, well, it's like, well, we'll talk about him. We've got a whole villain podcast coming up. We'll have time to talk about that uh, implausibility if you keep that thought. Uh, let's let's get back to the, the 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 topic at hand: the Bond woman, Steve. I think we were you were it was, was you that mentioned the lecture <laughs> was it i think it, i think it was yeah um and then i disappeared for a second sorry about that that's all right um but yeah i think um the whole i think that the points have been made she is a as a female bond villain as opposed to a bond girl ally she's up there with the best because as i say you want someone who double crosses bond the problem as i mentioned as i think has been sort of discussed is that she wasn't pushed far enough if if her and renard had almost swapped places and she'd still been a surprise but it emerged that she was actually she was completely the one running things and i don't know it's it comes across to me as the the bond writers not quite being able to put a woman that far forward they couldn't they couldn't they just can't they just don't quite have it in them to put a woman right to the fore there's always got to be a man running things mm-hmm. Um, perhaps, I mean, it sounds as though that's particularly going to change now, um, whether or not that changes with the villains as well as the main actual character in the most uh, recent Bond film that hasn't yet been released. We don't know. But, um, yeah, I think she's fantastic. Yep. Yep. Completely agree. Again, get the wardrobe, um, especially what really stands out with Elektra. And this was this funny because this was the likeness of Elektra they used in the N64 game, no matter what situation she was in. But do you remember the, see the dress she has purple. on when Bond, yeah, kind of purple. It's like almost see-through, I think, but see when Bond kills her, um, it's so unique. I never, I mean, in a sort of contemporary film, I've never seen a woman wearing that sort of dress. It's, it gives it, again, it's that alluring quality mm-hmm. that you had with with the uh, octopusy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. So iconic. So the, just the, the look in general, maybe the way she had her, as well and our like our, our posture our height whatever uh, yeah that was she, she, that was such a great kind of ending for her character and a, a very very iconic death it's her confidence that i like most it's the sort of teasing bond and sort of goading him you can't kill me you wouldn't kill me like that's what yeah. i love about, that's that's one of the main things i love about her she's so confident and you don't see that as much in a lot of the characters Aye, and it's and not just that it's the fact that she she didn't give a shit about her own father she remember she says that line she's like my father was nothing she's just actually got contempt for her own now deceased father yeah she's that's how she's, much that's how much of a villain she was she, yeah she's a spoiled brat that inherited more uh, she inherited so much and then went, went, to, went to extreme lengths to, 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 to own everything and all that kind of stuff yeah it's definitely a character we hadn't seen before which i fully applaud and i just wish the film was better around her um, yeah she, she maybe the only she's maybe the only one you could describe as actually a female megalomaniac i would say so yeah 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 i mean i think if xenia had the had the resources i think she would <laughs> yeah i think so. she would have tried to have sex with mo- everyone before she killed them all but uh, steve have you is that your t- one's done yeah that is my list of best. Cool. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, just I'll quickly 
have a disclaimer, of course, as the GoldenEye representative of the podcast, I want to give a quick <laughs> heads up on the uh, the woman of that film. Xenia, I mentioned there, of she completely falls into the femme fatale sort of idea, the beautiful and deadly in the same in the same equal measure and with her it's it's dialed up she is absolutely gorgeous absolutely deadly one of the deadliest villains bond has ever came across she is essentially they even dress her like kind of like a nazi at points like she is sadistic she's psychotic she gets off on being psychotic she is uh, it's that sort of twin idea that i quite love i I love it it's just so much fun to watch a villain that is having a lot of fun being a villain and yeah, it's again very new to the Bond film. It's a new idea, a new spin on the femme fatale, which has been done before with Fiona Volpe and things like that in the earlier films. Um, yeah, and you mentioned Famke Janssen, like she just, I well, she Steve just was just perfect yeah, on your because I, I was just gonna say she, um, she didn't even need to act for this. She just kind of, she maybe the makeup helped a bit, but she was the fact she was so pale, but she this she her hair was so black. She just mm-hmm. this sort of raven-haired beauty it just that kind of added to the villainy for me yeah and she's got this smirk this smile like i I was watching uh the behind the scenes stuff and i think she was a little annoyed by the sort of the mid section of the film when they're on the train with trevelyan and urimov which is one of my favorites i mentioned this before it's that set sort of ensemble set piece when they're all together and dialogue exchange is fantastic but she doesn't have a line she is literally just standing there but for me, she actually steals yeah. some of the moments because you can just see her off-center behind Trevelyan as he's sort of goading Bond and she's smiling and laughing at, and kind of... And it's just that that element of her that I love. It's just, she's, she's again so confident that she's going to get out alive. Bond, you know, it's just this is just another fun day. She's just teasing another enemy. And ah, I love it. It's fantastic. Gordon, you've mentioned a couple of times with the some of these characters that the the costume department should be praised and i mentioned this on our podcast for me xenia's like there's about i don't know three or four different kind of costume changes for her and i think all of them are fantastic the military one oh, yeah. at the at the yeah. bunker absolutely love that yeah there's a bit that. she's got a very i think it's when she's in the casino there's a bit it's again similar to like electra's dress or octopus is slightly different still there's there's a slightly weird um sort of dress she's got on. I'm pretty sure it's in the casino. It's all it reminds me of like it's almost like in the shape of a starfish or something. I mean all these things. It's like the way obviously Steve, you mentioned about Mayday, a very kind of unique dress still there. There's you know, with all of these characters uh, yeah, Mayday's really is hats you, off. Yeah, Mayday's is literally fantastic. hats off to the costume department. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> Roger Moore's back, is he? He's puns. Bowler hat, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, so for me, Xenia is one of my favourites. And her introduction as well. Oh, the introduction, car chase is is great. Um, you know, and but also the the the, the casino scene. I love that because at that point you don't quite know if she's a villain. She could be the the lead Bond girl that's getting introduced. There's a bit of back and forth, but I think her her posture, the way she holds her cigarette. There's a, it's just a style. She's just got it. Yeah. Famke Janssen nailed it. Is she not as well? Like a lot of characters in the whole Bond franchise are very Bond thing. Does she not? At least one point, I think she's got a cigarette holder. Mm-hmm. Like almost, it's like, um, what well, would it be? Audrey Hepburn was like the sort of iconic mm-hmm. um, character female character with a cigarette holder there's a lot of people in the bond france does does she because steve you're the golden eye expert i'm pretty <laughs> sure if it's not in the casino i think it's maybe on the train later does she have a 
Does she have a cigarette holder? I don't know on the train side. Like, uh, possibly on the in the casino scene. I couldn't say for certain. I'll need to watch it again tonight and check and let you know. Um, yeah, but, I've, I've got. I've kind of got a feeling. I, I don't know what why, but it's, it's just everything about her. I love like uh, as well. <laughs> for so you know how that scene went on the train again. Coming back to that, so. They've seen Bond is on the, at the end of the line with the tank, and obviously there are Trevelyan's like he's gonna derail us or whatever. And I think she actually, I think she says the line he'll derail us or something like that, uh, and she laughs like she's excited about it. <laughs> like that's how. Yeah, I, that's, again, <laughs> like, that's like he's subtle, going to derail us. Works really well. Yeah, <laughs> like the line could have been delivered yeah. so she could have been worried. Kind of she's going to he's got pissed off kind of line, but no, she's she's excited. She she yeah. can't believe he's going to do this. It's chicken, <laughs> and you get a sense of her character that she's always been this way, like this, this uh, kind of adrenaline junkie. It's like a, BD, a BDSM person who enjoys pain almost, mm. enjoys like thrill, thrills and stuff, like like horrible stuff. Did you mention the bit where like, Urimov is looking at her? Like, <laughs> no, I didn't. Remember that bit? Because like, it's another villain, but like... Yeah, she's having she, orgasms, she, essentially. She's like, massacring uh, whole room of people. <laughs> yeah, so it's one of those yeah. wonderful situations where one villain is slightly disturbed or weirded out by another villain. Uh-huh. You know, so, so yeah. Just, what is the, how would you describe the expression on his face and his thoughts? It's just amusement, isn't it? It's that kind of like... <laughs> Am I really in the same? Oh my god, I'm in the same side as this person. Like it's crazy. Yeah, and Steve, you go on about the the great ensemble of of enemies and henchmen. You could attribute obviously the likes of Boris Grishenko as well. They they all have so many layers in that film, don't they? And the the films get just so many layers and so many subtle. Yeah. You know, it's kind of I guess it was perfect for the game that there was so many characters because you had like Valentin as became uh like reluctant ally, and obviously you get Michigan as well. There was so many great characters with so many layers yep and just that's a good segue gordon uh i feel like i want to also mention the other golden eye bond woman natalia Fedorino- Fedorinova Simeonova. <laughs> you mean natalia Fedorinova Simeonova. <laughs> uh, uh so again one of my favorites and this is how much so again golden eye i've said this many times before it was my first bond film and i didn't understand there was a whole legacy of films before this so this was me watching the first james bond film and i couldn't believe it <laughs> and tomorrow never dies when natalia wasn't in it <laughs> it's just yeah. like hang on where is she they she, fell in love. she actually because i thought she actually had such an impression of me steve because i saw golden eye i think like shortly before i ever saw top gun and you know kelly mcgillis's character in top gun which again they like this kind of shorter woman's hairstyle wasn't too different. It's like when I, because I was quite young at the time and I saw her in Top Gun, she reminded me of Natalia somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I love uh, Isabella Skrupko in Goldeneye. I think uh, she's, you know, goes without saying, beautiful woman. But as uh, that character, I feel, again, it was that they tried to tap into the 90s kind of, it was even around the time a girl, probably 95 was kind of before it, I think. But, um, you know she's a computer analyst uh you know she's not what we've seen before in some uh, traditionally there's definitely been there's obviously doctors and things like that but um you know they don't dress her in the way that they've dressed a lot of the bond girls she's just wearing ordinary just normal outfits and things like that that's what i kind of liked about her but again she's there's a whole section of the film that she's doing a lot of investigation work herself like she kind of has a lot of plot going on and, it, and it's all fascinating and all great and it, it shows a bit of ingenuity on her part you know when she goes into the computer hardware store pretending to buy all these computers and then is hacking in to speak to Boris and all that kind of stuff I liked all that and I think it works for the film 
Yeah, she's very commanding as well, Steve. Like with the guy in the computer store, just commanding with Boris and very commanding with Bond. And you know, uh-huh. obviously, Bond's always the guy that's in control, but she's in control of Bond quite yeah. a bit. Boys with toys, you know. Yeah, uh, and obviously, she's really she's um she struggles with Bond at first. Again, it's similar to the likes of Anya from Spy Who Loved Me. It takes a while for Bond to get her on on his side. She's she's treating him like an enemy at first. Yeah, yeah, I really, I really like, her. and yeah, there's elements of she becomes a bit damsel in distress, but I don't feel it's, I feel like that fits her character in a way. She isn't a military, you know. That's the good thing about Goldeneye; it has two opposite ends of the spectrum in a way. But she's also not the kind of the the awful ones we've seen from the Man of the Golden Gun and other films like that. So I think it toes the line quite well, and I did as a kid certainly believe in that love story that i actually felt that she i couldn't believe that she didn't come back that's how much i was distraught because i loved her character but yeah so that would be my, my my two main ones um pretty much i agree with all the rest uh tracy and and Mady, uh were ones that i would have uh, spoken about as well um so yeah there's an octopusy yep fantastic electric king We've definitely covered a great swath of fantastic female, uh, you know, the the Bond girl characters. Let's uh, let's try and kind of focus on maybe the ones that are less iconic. We'll put it politely. Let's say that that's a way to put it. Uh, the ones that didn't work, and I did state at the beginning, it is usually always the writing that's the issue, and I want to state that very clearly again. Uh, but let's go around the table and talk about ones that don't work for you guys. Steve, we'll start with you this time. Yeah, so the ones, the main ones that come to mind for me, and as you mentioned, it's entirely down to the writing rather than the actor, and it's the ones who tend to be sort of, they, they veer too much into the damsel in distress, and the two that come to mind are obviously Goodnight from Man with the Golden Gun, and I think Stacey Sutton from A View to a Kill mm. as well, just poorly written. So Stacey Sutton, just to give sort of one example, she was supposedly the, the state geologist which suggests a very sort of high level of intelligence, someone who has worked their way up to a position where you effectively represent an area and a scientist. So being a geologist would require years of studying and um, sort of writing and research and potentially PhDs and stuff like that. And yet, right the way through the film almost, she... uh, I mean, yes, she's not uh, she's not a sort of military or trained killer or anything like that. She's not meant to be um, sort of completely sort of kick-ass and whatnot. But if that is if that's what she is, she shouldn't be putting her in that position where she is the main Bond girl. And Bond effectively has to do his job while looking after her. Just kind of retracts from it. Um, yeah. I mean, that whole that whole fire engine chase scene, for example, where she's. I mean, she she does pretty well under pressure, in fairness, but it's a it's a pretty terrible scene, and just the way that she's flailing and screaming and utterly reliant on him, it's just it's the way that she's written, yeah. it's just so unfortunate. Because again, in that particular film, her position, it was her position as state geologist, if you like, was from what I remember, in some way integral to the the plot. She was useful, but she could have been used more intelligently than. Yeah. Sort of flailing around, long blonde hair, sort of after sort of bonds the whole time, and just just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I say, that's that's obviously secondary to to Goodnight, yeah. who almost right the way through was just 
played as the the idiot character. That was again. That was she was that was Britt Eklund, wasn't it? Yeah, Britt Eklund. I, yeah. I think we established that she was effectively cast because she was a model almost rather than an actress. I think. I mean, I, to be fair, or not to be fair, the the uh, that is mostly how usually a lot of the the actresses are cast. A lot of them are models or whatever the background is. Um, I think they tend to usually go for. T- they started certainly that started that way, but. Yeah, Brett Eklund was really not served well in that film. I, yeah. I it was one yeah. of my that nasty humor that they, that they had with that with the whole storyline where Bond is you know it looks like they're gonna have a nice night together and they're sort of starting to you know get going in the bedroom and then Maud Adams was it Maud Adams character? Miss yeah, Anders. Yeah, I Miss Anders. I was just gonna say as well. Well, Steve, Steve, you touched in the fact. Why Brett Elkland would have got involved? I don't know if it was before or after. I've got a feeling it was probably after. Um, curiously, Brett Elkland and Christopher Lee, I think, were reunited in the Wicker Man, the original Wicker Man. That was just a quick point there. Mm, yeah, and they're both Swedes, aren't they? Um, yeah, so it's just that kind of like she then is chucked in the cupboard and is presumably there the entire night while Bond is having his way with miss anders which is yeah crazy to think that would happen but also i really it's done for humor as the audience we were meant to find that funny and uh, that's what i find really kind of yeah uh, and not, it's almost just great. unfair on the actor themselves because it's it, i imagine you know the if the bond regardless of who you are or what your background is whether you're a model or an actor if the Bond producers come to you and offer you a huge whack of money to be in the film, you're going to take it regardless. But I think it's almost taking advantage of someone, taking someone like Britt Eklund, saying, right, we'll give you all this money if you come and appear as the Bond girl in our film. You agree to it. And then they do that to you. And as a result, you have sort of men sitting in cinemas for two hours, kind of on one hand laughing at you and on the other hand ogling you. It's If you're going to have a female, obviously we're talking about several years ago and it's how they thought back then but it's it it's it's it ages badly if you're going to have a female character write it intelligently and then get someone in who has the ability to take that character and play it well yeah um, it's it's just it's, it feels her character feels slightly exploited it's also just because it doesn't feel like you know there's characters that they don't come across well because they're just dumb or whatever or whatever She's actually the story means that Bond is a complete bastard. Like Bond yeah. shoves her in. It's actually like making him look really fucking bad for our pleasure. Like it, it's, it's going against what of... I would imagine he would do because I don't think he's meant to have class, and I don't think yeah. he would do that. Well, it's that's, a bit that's on Roger Moore. Sorry, on you go, God. Oh no, just very quickly. I was just going to say, yeah, it's kind of on Roger Moore. It's like it's the way that Moore didn't really want to. Um, have the scene where he's quite rough with Miss Anders and he hits her, but Guy Hamilton said, "No, Roger, we need you to be tougher." So it's it's like that. And that's the that's my issue with Guy Hamilton. His a lot of I feel like his uh, kind of take on these kind of things in those films is what. And it was Tom Mankiewicz as well. I remember it was the two of them. Tom Mankiewicz wrote the scenes, and Guy Hamilton, obviously, was the director. But I feel like they thankfully they changed it up by the Spy Who Loved Me with uh, different writers and directors. Um, um, yeah. I was just going to say before I forget, I, I I totally get the whole thing. Like where, as a, uh, yeah, I mean, the the looks of the Bond girls or women in Bond is only a, a a part of the thing, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's 
if you're going to meet, I mean, there's lots of beautiful women and handsome men walking around in Bond films in the background, and that's fine. We don't know anything about them because that's exactly what they are. They're extras. They're, they're just people who are just there to make the scene look glamorous or whatever. But if you're going to write, if you're going to place somebody in an important role in a film, you've got to give them some depth of some kind. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, even if they are an idiot, you've got to at least explain. Why is this person like this? Yeah, Do you know what I mean? That, that was the other thing. I think I said this in the podcast. They never... So, like, she's obviously meant to be a secret agent, isn't she? She's working. She's a colleague of Bond's. So he treats this colleague like that. And um, But it never quite... It never sold me that she was a complete idiot. Only that Bond was treating her like a complete idiot. Like, it never... showed yeah. Until the end, when she, she starts just, you know, her butt is hitting all these buttons and things like that. But we'd already seen Bond treating her like a piece of shit. So I never quite understood why, like, as in, you know, like, I just, it didn't sell the, the thing. I don't know, you shouldn't be treating her like a piece of shit, but I'd never even been, I couldn't see why, like, what, she was just seemed like a really nice person. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, though, like, it 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 doesn't in any way make sense, does it? Like, the, the you know, I mean, you don't have, like, war movies with, like, some idiot soldier going, <laughs> tripping up and shooting all his mates and all that. Like, it, it wouldn't, it doesn't happen. Like, you, you well, that, don't. That's to me why you know, those films are the comedies, Steve, the Bond Steve comedies. McCall, do, do they hire folk at the BBC who are just, like, ultimate buffoons, you know, who just can't interview anybody or just drop things everywhere all the time? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like... not legally allowed to answer that question, particularly <laughs> in the way that I want to. But... <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at that, the diplomatic answer. I appreciate it. Yeah, the less on that, the better. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, that, it's just the idea of... I mean, I think I commented on that at the time, that why, why would MI6 hire such an idiot? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like... it's, it's a, a poor choice. And to be fair, I don't think Brett Eklund looks at it that way. I mean, I think I've read somewhere, you know, an interview with her. She was just very happy and very proud that she's part of this long legacy of characters. And she's just, well, she loved it. I, I think I, I might, maybe I've got mixed up. I don't know. Have you read something different? Yeah. No, no. I was going to agree with you, Steve. Oh, right. Yeah, no, just to bring me on. It was, so I was just, the, I was going to make the point that you, I, I really admire how most of the, the Bond women actresses are still very much part of the Bond family and they attend a lot they attend a lot of conventions and they only, you know contribute yeah. a lot to the documentary. What I mean about that is it's the fact some of them weren't the, they were great actors but weren't the best written, but they're more than happy to still they're they're so proud of the legacy of Bond and to be part of that. And, yeah. and you know, I love the fact that they, they still are actively members of the Bond family. Like Brett Eklund's been a great example. All of them, like even uh you know the bb dal's character lynn holly johnson she's not even an actress she was a skater wasn't she which again it's yeah. it's it's why wouldn't you turn it down it's cool to be in it and she should be proud that she was in it and it's just a shame that the writers didn't serve she... her but she's obviously i've seen a, an interview with her 10 years ago or whatever and she's talking about it. you know she's just incredibly happy and proud and goes to conventions and that's that's cool that's awesome but um it's yeah the writing is unfortunate for some of them and it's only the only one I have seen that has kind of been slightly critical of her character is Terry Hatcher. She kind of felt her character was shallow and a bit vapid. I think was the word she used, um, which is a shame because they tried to give her character the the history with Bond. They hadn't really done that before, and yeah, she's not in it long and she's killed off, whatever. But yeah, she obviously doesn't quite look at it in the same way that those other actresses do. Actors, sorry, uh, sorry, that was you, Steve. Yeah, is that your? Any others? Uh, the only other one I was going to mention um, on a slightly sort of different take is uh, Jinx Johnson in Die mm. Another Day, who, again, superb actor, let down by an absolutely piss-poor script. Yeah. Um, as we pointed out, it's it's a shame because, obviously, Halle Berry's fantastic, but 
the way that she was played, um, some of the lines that she was given. CGI just, stunts. Oh, that's the, oh yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> falling backwards off the building and just again, that's just another one that comes to mind. I mean, Dino the day was terrible enough as it was, but it's funny, a shame I, feel, I feel bad, Steve. You actually quite liked it the first time you watched it. Is our kind of kicking it kind of converted you? <laughs> well, yeah, that that is I, I, it's weird that yeah, I did. I, I do remember vaguely enjoying Dino the day, but when you take a kind of second look and you actually think about it for a second, I, Dino the day is one of these mindless films. If you completely yeah. switch off yeah. and just watch it as an action film. It's relatively enjoyable, but when you start to think about it, you go, hang on, that's not right, that doesn't work, why have they done that, what the fuck is that invisible for? <laughs> then it starts kind of getting, yeah, it starts getting mixed up. So when you think about it, it's true, but yeah. I'm, it was the same for me as a kid, to be fair, we go, or whenever I watched that, I wasn't a kid at that point, but um, yeah, I remember at the time thinking I liked it, and then it was years later, I hadn't revisited it, and it was like reading into it, and I was like, oh, that really wasn't that good, that was kind of dumb. Yeah, yeah, Jinx, Jinx Johnson, not great. What was the line that's the cringeworthy line that they gave her? Yo mama. Ah. Is one of them. But there was another one as well, wasn't there? Um, There was the one where they were were talking, her and Bond were talking about birds or (laughs) mythology. And there was was a ridiculous line in there as well, from what I remember. And then then leads to an incredibly steamy sex scene. Yes, which. (laughs) <laughs> no ornithology conversation has ever led to sex. Yeah. Um, okay. All righty. Oh, it was so strange. It was like that whole scene, Steve, <laughs> in the beach. Oh. Gordon, let's come to you then. Yeah, I'll, I'll. In the true style of Capiche, I'll segue from Jinx Johnson because actually, all the three I was going to mention have all been brought up this evening. So, um, yeah, Jinx Johnson, uh, Mary Goodnight can go along with that as well. Also, Tiffany Case from 1971's Diamonds Are Forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, yeah, I'd like to stress, I mean, it's, it's the writing to me. Um, yep. I mean, it's, with all of them, um, you know, the, just creating creating this sort of ineptitude, incompetence in, in the, you know, in, with Mary Goodnight's character. There's a couple of like, strong moments where there's, like, potential with her. It's like when she finds a way to open the... Um, the boot of the car, but it just so happens it has it's thousands of feet up in the air. But and then the whole she tells Bond about how she knows like who drives the green Rolls Royces and all that. It's like she's acting like a field agent there. But then it's like it's the same with Tiffany Case, and it's like there's potential. And then but with it's like put her in a bikini at the end of the film, and she's just all ditzy and just ah. Uh, and I think maybe I don't know if um I've I've slightly more of a problem with Tiffany Case's character because she starts off so strong, Jill St. John, that film. And um, it's mostly the lines because obviously the, the scriptwriters and directors are giving you the lines, so you just need to say them. So that again, it's it's the writing that's the problem. But you know, because she she was, I guess she was originally developed in the book Tiffany Case, which was actually the late fifties with Fleming. And it's again, I like the site. I like how she's a criminal, and but she's a bond. She's sorry, she's a she's a woman that Bond's obviously clearly attracted to, and she she's attracted to him. But they're from two different worlds. You know, he's he's working for the government, she's a criminal, and there's that nice kind of um, juxtaposition, I suppose, Bond getting involved with one of the bad girls, and but um, and she's, you know, you see her, like, the whole thing when Bond first meets her, posing as Peter Frank, she um, she goes in, into her room, checks the glass to check his fingerprints, like, she's clearly got her wits about her, but then she just gradually descends, I think, in that film, 
and it's our delivery of the lines I really don't like at times, which to be honest is a symptom for the entire film. And I think there's there's a particular I think a lot of the time Dimes are forever. I mean, with so many of the characters, just the the acting is just not believable. And one line which I she didn't say it very well, but I think this line kind of summed up the entire way the film was going in Dimes Are Forever. Like I think it's about halfway through when her and Connery are about to embark on the, the ridiculous car chase. And she says she says to him, like, well, you can just drop me off at the next turn. This whole thing's getting out of hand. I think just that mm, kind of yeah. sums up the whole film for me, really. Mm. And the whole, I think, at the end as well. See, with the, I mentioned before the podcast, like, Mr. Went, Mr. Kid and their death in the ship. And she's just, there's like some, some of the, the Bond girls like Tracy would get right in there and be helping Bond to fight off then. Maybe she's standing at the site. I mean, you can kind of understand that, but it's like, when she then, from a, about five meters away, tries to throw the cake at Mr. Wint, as if that's going to do any damage. And then I think like Miss, Mr. Kid like sets the kebabs on fire and then he, he gets set on fire and she's like, she does this, makes this noise. It's like, eee! you know, it just, uh, that just kind of it just shows she, she just gradually started to say and the the I think see the most weak aspect I think of her character was the it was the fact I don't know if you remember in the casino there's absolutely no reason why she does this right there's no reason first of all there's also no reason why Blofeld should be dressed in drag but oh, she's God. in the casino she's talking to Q right it was that exact that cool gadget that Q had that I mentioned last week guys and see at that point it's like she sees a white Persian cat and she's just like I don't know why, I'll just follow the cat. And it's like, why would you do that? Why would you follow? And she follows the cat and ends up getting dragged into Blofeld's car. And uh, just that's just the worst bit. It just makes no sense. Yeah, uh, it's like uh, Tom Mankiewicz, I feel like it must, the blame must mostly go to him. But obviously Guy Hamilton as the director has some control over this. But they yeah. clearly didn't have a lot of attention to the woman in Bond because I think the track record they had with their the female characters over their films is the poorest like starting I mean yeah Pussy Galore is probably a great start but then even by the end of that film they don't serve her too great with some of the lines where I think Fran you really mentioned that point in the first podcast we did for Golden Goldfinger where like she essentially is the saviour of the film she's the one that actually turned and helped Bond in a way but the credit mm-hmm. is kind of given to Bond for seducing her. Um, well, yeah, yeah, it's like demeaning to her, and, and it's like, oh, it's like that kind of they, they never even think about well, what that means. That, it's something that a lot of people could identify with, really, because that's happened to all of us in life, hasn't it? Where you do something really cool, but someone else can get the credit for it, mm. and you're like, no, but it's like, say you're in work and and um, you know, you've got a task to do, and you do it, and you save the day, but your manager gets the credit, and it's like, well. You didn't actually fucking do it, did you? It just, you know, what I mean, like, you know, on the face of it, you're they're the leader or whatever. But yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely there. I just realised um, we never actually, nobody actually mentioned Donna Blackman in for Bissigalo, did we? Did we speak about her for the good ones? I mentioned her very briefly, but she's yeah. real, she's really like up she there. Have um, definitely got, yeah. But we can do an honourable mention at the very end, maybe. Sorry, we'll keep on the discussion. Sorry to derail you. Continue, Gordon. <laughs> well, no, that I mean, in terms of the the ones um, from the if we're looking at the female characters, I think are are the, the weakest ones again down at the right. And yeah, just uh, I, I agree with Halle Berry's Jinx Johnson. I think um, I mean she's an Oscar winner, but she could Halle Berry could given probably her and Pearson that film could given the worst lines of the entire series. Terrible 
nonsensical dialogue on the beach. And then the thing, like, I'll always be a jinx to you. And, and then at the end, like, Bond's, like, stroking her belly and, like, dropping diamonds in her belly. She's like, oh, it's, it makes no sense. And then she says, oh, she's like, oh, I'm so good and all that. It's just, it's the worst dialogue. In t- I think as well, they get, they make Halle Berry do a lot of, it's like superhero style poses in that film. It's like they're, that's where they're, they're making Bond into comic book style and, and making it become a bit too fantastical. There's like, just a lot of her postures. Maybe, maybe at times as well, Brosnan and, and Rosamund Pike. It's the stances often. It's like she'll stand like, if I stand just now, like facing you guys, just like one shoulder kind of back like that. Like, it's like, what you, who's Robert Downey Jr.'s character again? Um, uh, Iron Man. Iron, it's like Iron Man or something. And, uh, or even if, I think the cut, the cover that I see in my DVD for Diner of the Day, the cover kind of like says all about that movie. Halle Berry and Bond. It's the way their stance, like both pointing guns right next to each other. I can kind of get the whole like Halle Berry and Brosnan co star status, but it's giving it, if you look at their postures there, it's, it's giving her a bit of a sort of, um, superhero style rather than a, like a serious agent which is which just detracts from me mm-hmm. yep mm. okay uh for fran then for for fran yeah I don't right, okay that. let's let's see okay so i think a bunch of these have been talked about already but i'm just gonna blast through them i suppose so uh yeah you've got the completely completely stupid as written mary goodnight uh, I can't remember. I mean, we've talked about a lot of different people. Did anybody talk about Suzuki from You Only Live Twice no, yet? No, she hasn't come up. So she, um, I've kind of noted down really. Uh, the only thing that the the only trait she has is her race. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> it's basically that yeah. bad. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That film again was not one that was great for the the writing of and treatment of women. I think that was one of the things I would hold against it. I think. That one is particularly poor. They don't even yeah mention, yeah they not even mention the character's name. Yeah yeah is, it's not. Is it Kissy? I think it's I think maybe only note because that was her name in the book because she played a, a bigger role in the book. But um I think I think for a lot of people, Aki is more of an active role in that film. But again, there's there's Aki's great and see similar to Tracy. She um she's the one driving the car while Bond's sitting there doing nothing. She's really in control, but she really weakens, like, really early in the film. Remember, you guys obviously have found those instances where it's silly how qu- quickly the women fall for Bond. For, you, like, I'll talk about, like, Natalia from Goldeneye, because I remember when we did the Goldeneye podcast, you said, like, after the train, how she just sort of, like, instantly falls for Bond for no reason. I it's fell like, in love with Bond at that moment, but anyways, all right. Uh, but you, you guys have a lot to say about that, so I would say that, see with Aki, remember when Bond's getting a massage by some other girl in, in Tanaka's house? <laughs> um, Aki just suddenly appears, with, like, they, they'd hardly had any dialogue between the two characters, and then she just like sort of falls into his arms, and just like as if she's so happy to see it. Just, she, it was just that she instantly... Um, became attracted to him out of nowhere. Just that's again where the writing's kind of a bit off. Mm-hmm. Yep. Alright, Fran. Um let's see. Holly Goodhead as well that we've talked about. As in one you Oh yeah. Yeah. Right, I mean we've talked about her. But I mean Wait, Holly Goodhead is one you don't like? Yeah, I'm not I just don't think that she was played that's very well. Oh really? I just uh, I mean uh, written wise, yeah, but I just don't I just don't feel like she had much I I don't often criticise the acting, but I didn't feel. She just felt really kind of drab. Uh, interesting. I 
well, she's a doctor in some ways. I, I felt like she okay, it's a pretty ex- interesting, exciting, dynamic doctors in my time. You know? Yeah, what I was going to say was, <laughs> I, I, I thought I bought into. I actually thought she she came across very intelligent, and I kind of bought into that intelligence. I don't know that, that actually. I, I she just she just seemed a bit boring to me, really. Like I, I was a wee bit bored by it, but I think it's more to do with the acting than the writing. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, interesting, interesting. I mean, if she was played by a different actress, I probably you know. I mean, the writing. I had no complaints about that, really. I, well, not. Not she, huge she complaints. She can do martial arts as well, you know. I know, I know, I know. You get high, high bloody standards, I tell you that. No, I just find some people boring. Um, but yeah, Stacey Sutton. Stacey Sutton. Hmm. I mean, what can you say? Well, that was Steve mentioned her, didn't you? I know, I mean, I mean, that's the thing, like... I mean, I think, Steve, you'd made the point about how she was the state geologist. I mean, I just... See if I was at a party or something... And, like mingling with folk and Stacey Sutton came up to me and I said well, what do you do and she was like I'm the state geologist I'd be like what <laughs> you know what I mean and not because of how she looks but like say I'd spoke to her for a wee bit I would have been thinking to myself I'm just a, a very average kind of person like I'm not trying to say be horrible about anybody but like there are some people that you 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 know you wouldn't know what they do but you wouldn't put them in positions of extreme power and authority do you know what I mean like you wouldn't do you know what I mean like it just it, she just and just her voice annoyed me. She should have been played more intelligently. Yeah, if you're going to have someone in that position, they shouldn't be played as the idiot damsel in distress. They should be able to use a degree of intelligence. And it was, I mean, again, that's where the writing fails. Well, that's the thing. I mean, here's the, that's the, the, there's an interesting kind of nuanced thing that we're trying to get here, right? So it's somewhere between damsel and distress issue and the issue of intelligence, right? Because even the bravest man or woman on earth can be afraid of a spider. For instance, right? Well, it's consistency so, with the character you've set uh, up. If you set so, up an intelligent character, then yeah. deliver that. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I'd be happier if they improved the, her presentation of being an intelligent person, and she still was a bit cowardly in really life-threatening situations. Because any one of us would be the same. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'd, I'd be scared if I was with Bond in that film. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd, on top of that bridge, especially, I would be screaming my head off up there. Do you know what I mean? I'd be like, Ah, oh, God, save me! You know. I mean, I wouldn't be wearing heels, though, as another stupid thing. Why is there heels on on top of the bridge, right? I mean, uh, that is yeah. the stupidest thing. And, you know, and I've always said this, Jurassic World did it as well. Yeah. In Jurassic World, we have a slow-motion scene of a woman running away from a T-Rex with fucking high heels on, right? <laughs> okay? It's ridiculous. Yes, because being slightly taller will help. Oh. I mean, what utter bullshit. Anyway, so... Uh, Christmas Jones. Uh, I knew she was... I was surprised it taking this long for her to come up. Christmas Jones... Shitty name, first Doctor, of all. Doctor Christmas Jones, actually. I think comparable with uh, some of the points you made about Stacey Sutton, like the fact she was in that position, maybe, think... but she wasn't using it so well, more becoming the along she... the lines of Stacey Sutton's character. She, like, she was Basil Exposition. She was there to explain they... everything that was happening you know what, at the end. Do you know what they could? Do you know what they could have done? See, with Christmas Jones, they could have replaced her with a fucking instruction manual for the the nuclear thing. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I that's think, how you you know uh, that's how you know that there's a problem. She was there for two reasons. She was there for the end joke, you know, Christmas tur- eating turkey and Christmas came twice or whatever and all that crap. But she was also there just to explain all the stuff that was going on at that end scene. But I feel like Denise Richards gets a hard time. Like she is no, always she's, she's, bottom of the list. And I But she's I, I not a good like, actress though. She's not. I actually don't think she's bad in the film. I just generally think she's given 
she's treated poorly by the writing and a little by the costume department because they treat her as well like she's she's Lara Croft. They try and make her Lara Croft when the character doesn't feel like it fits. I don't know. I think some. I agree with Steve. I just I feel like I think, I feel like Denise Richards gets a hard time because I only I kind of don't think she's that bad that in some of the ways that I think Plenty of Tool is. I for some reason really didn't like that performance. Well, plen- Plenty of Tool. I mean, God. I mean, even the name is just the stupidest name, stupidest name ever. Right. Like, well, Christmas Jones is pretty bad. I mean, Christmas Christmas Jones. But right, I want to move. I want to move yeah. on to the next next woman, right? Because. This is one, I'm actually going to put this one in the neutral section, right? Everyone have your neutral ready, okay? <laughs> so it's like a, a neutral zone, right? Good sake, this the, is only an hour and a half already, this is so going to be... <laughs> on the one side you've got like the good ones, and on the other side you've got the bad ones, and then there's this neutral zone where it's like, we, we don't really know, right? Right. So don't worry, there's only one, right? But the reason for this is, remember Solitaire from I Living Like That? I knew you were going right? to say it. Now, you might know why, right? But, I mean, Solitaire, I, I, I think, I remember getting given the video for, like, I got Live and Let Die, Octopus and Dr. No off of my uncle, right? On tape. Like, there were tapes he used to watch, like, obviously, like, the, the official ones. He'd bought them on VHS. And I remember just watching them fairly regularly. Like, I'd have some Star Trek, Star Wars things I'd watch, and I'd watch, like, James Bond. Do you know what I mean? I'd just have a revolving set of tapes yeah, that I'd be here. watching, right? Yeah. But there was something about Solitaire. It must have been because uh, I was must have been between like fourteen and sixteen, the same when I was watching these, right? And or maybe even like say thirteen to sixteen, that sort of era, right? And at that point, you're basically going through like second and third year at high school, which is like basically like you you, you form like your you basically like if you're going to get a type of woman that you like, you're going to figure that out then, like somehow, but based on things that you watch or things can influence you a bit at that age in many different ways, right? I don't really, I've never really said I have a type, I suppose, but the thing is, for for whatever reason, that solitaire, right? Um, so it's Jane Seymour, right? Honestly, to me, is one of the most beautiful women on the planet, right? And I remember watching Live and Let Die, like, not the first time I saw it, but like later on and thinking, like, in my mind thinking, what would it be like to, to meet solitaire? Do like, you know what I mean? Like, do you know what I mean? Like I'd, I'd have those thoughts in my mind. They'd be like, "Oh, you know, it's just just perfect." I don't really you know? want to know what your thoughts were, if I'm honest. On well, that, uh... I'm, be, I'm, I'm, don't, don't uh, scrape the the gutter out. By the way, I'm, I'm trying to be quite polite about this. I can tell but, you're uh, trying. Try. You're, you're trying to choose your words, but it's. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's. But you know what? I defy any guy, and in fact, any girl, not to have had like crushes when they were in their teens. Do you know what I mean? But basically, like. If and even now, if see if I see a girl that looks a bit like Solitaire, like in real life, like I, I I'm drawn towards that. Like that's a that's a particular look that must have had an effect on me when I was younger. Do you know what I mean? When I was watching this film, um, and for that reason, like I, on a purely like aesthetic sense, you know, I have that soft spot for uh, and and Jane Seymour as well. Like you know, it's not like I know who's like much about her or like I've met her and like we're great pals or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's an actress I've seen in something, but like I've got a positive feeling towards her for that reason. But the negative is that she really was just the most passive Bond girl in history. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, I mean, she could have been like a cardboard cutout that Bond just carried her around. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like just a stand-in version of herself. Do you know what I mean? But. Yeah, it's yeah. a shame again they didn't again the same writer, same director, uh Tom Mankovitz, Guy Hamilton. The the guilty culprits I think for the sort of 
the the style of woman they had in those films that she didn't really have much independence she was held captive essentially and there's a weird racial thing going on there as well yeah. i think that, well, do you want to hear the worst bit unsettling. the worst bit the worst bit is in the book she's she's in a sexual relationship with um kananga mm-hmm. but in the film she's a virgin and they don't sleep together so why do you think they would have made that change anybody care to venture a guess as to why they might have presented that change for an audience I'll let you enlighten us. Because the audience wouldn't have reacted well to it. Mm. A black man and a white woman yeah. having a, a sexual relationship on the screen. The, 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 that's the thing with that film. As good as some, uh, there's a lot of things I like about it. Music and all that. The style is, is kind of cool. Um, and I like the dress. Roger Moore is cool in that film. You pointed out in the last podcast we did, Fran. Roger Moore at one point was cool before he became the sort of sort of silly and char like kind of the silly charm that you had in the later films but that film yeah the 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 race stuff was also really quite troubling if you think about it every single person that is a villain is is, is black in that film is one fbi guy that's the the good guy and then even the bond girl is it rosie carver turns out to be a villain and it's that's kind of like the cut the sort of yeah, the, the, the I mean, in the book, it's even worse. The book is like whew, really but bad. At the same time, Steve, you could argue some people might say, "Oh, we've had um, we've had seven Bond films, and you've got all these great villains." Apparently, like a black guy have. Oh, because they didn't. They didn't like. Them. They didn't really cast black actors. So it's, it's well, that, well thing. that's the thing. It's not really the same. You know, from it's not really the same. I think one of the things though about Living Let Die is, I mean, it's I've. Like the top, we'll get on to obviously the villains and henchmen later, but the, I mean, they're absolutely all of those villains, all the henchmen one for Kananga and Kananga himself are just like top, top villains. No, they are, and that's not to take away from them. It's a shame that that actually derails some of that because well, um, I, I think I... those those are some great villains, and there's some great moments, and those are things I like. But what my point is, they even had the Bond girl be a villain that's black, and, and it's just, it's also that kind of like hidden thing that. I think you could read into it. It's not. It's not. It's, it's no way obvious that the network of the you know the, if that, that sort of like they're all working together. It's that kind of uncomfortable kind of like slightly. I don't know. I don't know how to. Well, work I, I, it. It's that kind of us against them. Yeah, the us, the other. They, it's that thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're all the bad guys, and uh-huh. oh, it so well, happens well, that they're all black or of another ethnicity, and yeah. all the good guys happen to be white. It's a. So it's, it's a very. Yeah. It's more sort of covert, but it's. It it doesn't age well, and I think Solitaire so would have been better. Sorry, Fran, I'll let you finish in a second. Just that she, yeah, I'm trying to have like trying yeah, to be oh, oh, you go, then, you're, then you go. Solitaire, go. like everybody's talking about like God knows what now. Right, allow me to segue back into Solitaire for a second because I'm going to one last point, and I think I, I just don't want to forget it, right? Because I'm worried I'll forget it with the other conversation. But it's one of the creepiest moments in the whole franchise, right? And in fact, one of the creepiest moments in life in the un- in in reality, right? Where James Bond. <laughs> It makes me laugh to even try and say it, right? Because it's just so outrageous. James Bond tricks Solitaire into thinking that sleeping with him is oh, her destiny with I a know. card game. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's... I mean, I how bad that. is that? Yeah. How bad is that? I mean, and she believes it. He doesn't even tell her it was a lie. Mm. Does he? Yeah. So you know, you could also say oh, that that's... It's, uh, as, as kind of terrible as you could say that 
the James Bond from the books would have done that, wouldn't he? Because the James Bond from the books did, had no time for feelings. Yeah, it was James about Bond, him. But the James would... Bond from the books was also written from the point of view of you know Ian Fleming, who yeah, I know. I'm not saying it's like... right, Steve. I'm not saying uh-huh. it's right. I'm just saying that's that's it's true to the Bond of the books. So, well, yeah, I, whether it's right or not. Well, mm-hmm. I, I think my ideal in my mind of James Bond, right, probably it would be different now. Like it wouldn't even happen, right? But James Bond's all about the mission. I've always said that. Like he would sleep with a woman to get to somebody, right, or whatever, right. But he's not going to like once the mission's over, he's not going to manipulate them anymore, is he? So, but that's the thing that I found funny about this film is that he tricks her into believing that, but then he stays with her at the end after he's completed his mission. And he, whether he comes clean to her about this trick or not, I don't know. But it, <laughs> I doubt it. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, by the way, Solitaire, well, she finds she finds the, your beliefs to get you into bed. She finds the cards that he had in multipack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and wonders why it's a double seven logo at the yeah, time as yeah. well. That might give her a clue. You know, that'd been a, that'd been a weird gadget that Q made. You know, if you ever need to, you know, for some, some... reason manipulate a young woman, then here's this new gadget I've got for you. <laughs> I mean, it's it has got to be. There you go, my son. Yeah, it's got to be up there. I think it's got to be in at least the top five most kind of creepy, rapey Bond actions. Do you I know what I mean? So yeah, got to be up there. I mean, yeah. imagine like imagine for instance, like you read a story. Like imagine one of your pals or somebody you were associated with or like whatever got caught out doing something like that. I mean, that would be like, oh my god! It's almost like roofing someone's drink, isn't it? It's like there's something not right. It's 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 just bad, yeah. bad, but. That's Those why Tom Mankiewicz and Guy Hamilton, for me, some wrote some of the worst stuff. But as much they have some great villains, that's the thing that they there's a they they did they served their villains well, but they wrote at times Bond poorly because that doesn't feel like Bond. Bond's like you mentioned this, Fran, and the the, the the Love and Like Die podcast. Bond's meant to be suave and have charm, and he can if he needs to or, or wants to win a, a girl over he doesn't need to manipulate her like that like that's that goes against the character for me yeah, uh, it all goes into like your kind of internet uh, pickup artist ter- uh-huh, territory uh-huh. Like, that's the kind of thing they would do like well if you ever want to get them into bed you just do a bit of tarot card yeah. with them you know and <laughs> add uh-huh. in a card um, Such a... you know, I tell you what. Um, honestly, like a slight, slightly, whatever, like whatever, but it's it's quite interesting. Um, I ended up watching some videos of this guy. I think he might have been in Glasgow actually walking about, but like going up and trying to kind of pick up women walking about. Right, I've never seen anything more cringeworthy in my entire life. And see the way the girls were. Right, you could tell this guy had no social awareness whatsoever because every one of those girls he was talking to was nervous and like, oh, I need to get away from this guy, and he just would not stop. Yeah, it's I mean, creepy. it was. It was you know, he's the him. one that the BBC exposed and then ended up in jail and has recently been released from jail. Is, yeah. is it Rush? Really? I, I, did, I did hear about him. Is, is it Rush his name is? Oh, maybe it's a different one then. Uh, this was a guy who went by the name of Addy A-Game. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. There was a few of them in Glasgow, I think, but he was one of the, yeah, one of the, the main ones. Like they kind of promoted it and sort of bragged about it, didn't he? Like he well, it was a business. That. It was a business for nervous men, and that's the thing. It's a real shame, actually, because there's a lot of guys out there who find it hard to talk to anybody, you know. And they would be signing up to these things to try and get confidence to to talk to or to approach girls at a party or to have conversation or whatever, which is a perfectly innocent thing to want to do, be able to engage. And then they're getting taught all this terrible stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's no the wonder. online modern day equivalent of watching a Bond film and using that to get ideas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, right okay uh, but, but it's interesting to point out that some of these things like that we criticize from bond happens now well yeah, I mean? it's, but it's, these are people just, that aren't 
you know nice people that were not you know yeah. and it's meant to bond you know as much as he's meant to be a rogue at some point you also want to like him and uh, that's where that crosses the line but anyways we've kind of went over um i feel like we have to just do very quick shout outs to a couple we haven't mentioned then that um seem obvious does it sound like we're going to say hello to them like they're listening? Yeah. Oh, also, the yeah. other the other yeah. thing is as well, I meant to say to Gordon earlier on, like, I love the, the Gordon, one of my favourite things that you do, right, is the way that you refer to the Bond actors with a, on a first name basis, right? Because I was, I was thinking the other day, I was like, I wonder like what it would be like if I said to somebody, I was like, yeah, I saw like Star Trek, I was watching Star Trek The Next Generation the other day, like Patrick's in it, you know, and uh, Will, uh, Will and... Lavar, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it's, it's. Uh, I, I just thought to myself, I've, I've, I've never heard that convention before. Most, most of the, it's like there's a convention to refer to actors with their full name, isn't there? Um, but it's obvious. It's like they feel they must feel like family to you because you've watched Bond so much. Like, like you feel connected to them in some way. Do you think? Is that what no, it is? No, I just think it's a well, it's a Bond podcast. There's about six actors that have played Bond, and I, it would feel a bit daft if every time I was saying so Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig, you know Pierce Brosnan, Pierce, you know it's like we're we're kind of in that zone here. See, I think if I was there may be a bit of a problem if I was always saying like oh Bernard and and Lewis and mm. you know <laughs> what I mean it's like it's like I think we're in that we're in the like safe zone where I think yeah, it's probably it's quite you know what I mean yeah. it's like but yeah I think you'll know, probably know who I'm talking about who I say so yeah. I'm not I'm not it's not like I'm trying to be funny as if they're my pals or whatever but no no i, I kind of thought it was maybe like right. a, a thing that bond fans do like yeah. a super fan thing i was just curious about nah, it I, I don't think so no. i think i think it's just you reading into things as usual right okay so I, I that's, why, you, that's why you, that's why i'm good on the cast have Steve, you met any superman super fans uh, no but yeah. actually that's a good point like what would they what would their idiosyncrasies be do you think i'm trying to i'm trying to think what would have a big conversation about clark just Clark, yeah. Actually, you know, you, I, I've never met a Superman superfan before. Never. I was going to do quick shout outs to a couple of the ones we haven't mentioned just to finish the podcast. Don't segue at all. Oh, because I was like, I'll just cut this crap. Sorry for <laughs> <interrupting> <laughs> <segments>. <laughs> it's like nearly at two hours. There's a lot getting cut, so that'll be getting cut. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was just going to, I feel like it's weird to have not mentioned Ursula Andress, who the very first. Bond girl essentially. I mean, you could say Sylvia Trench maybe, um, but the, the the one that everyone thinks of is Ursula Andress. She's obviously, I would say, kind of falls in that mid tier in the end, the grand you know spectrum of them all because her character is essentially a woman, a glamorous woman that appears with a bikini and holds it with a knife, and so, and uh, sort of you know, but she still had that kind of iconic look. Which you know shaped a lot of things going forward, and yeah, I would say Pussy Galore as well has to be mentioned as another kind of legendary one. Um, we've paid a tribute to her previously as well, so we don't have to repeat most of it. But okay, I think we've probably uh, covered most of that. I think there's not many more to go over. Uh, did I actually mention my worst ones? I don't think I did. Did I? I've lost track now. I don't think I did. I think Fran. No, I don't think I did. Uh, I think most of mine have been covered. I think Mary Goodnight is my least favourite by a country mile. BB Dal is one of the other ones that kind of irritates me. I mean, it's interesting they give a character that's, you know, attractive young lady tries to hit on Bond, but then they, they play it up. She's essential. It's like a 
child thing, and I'm just very glad that they had Bond refuse this woman. I know. Like I said, I like the way how when Moore leaves the room, he looks both ways to check no one's watching yeah. when she's leaving his hotel room. Yeah. Uh, it's a strange dynamic they have in that film that, that, that didn't quite work for me very much, but and I think she was essentially described as like a nymphomaniac for people I've heard. This was the first nymphomaniac from the franchise, but not one of my not one of my favourites. Yeah, I think we've covered the the worst really. Uh, yeah, so that will do that, guys. That's been quite an epic. We've really delved into this one. It's been fun. Um, and if we forgot, uh, well, that there must be a reason, surely. Okay, guys, uh, we will finish this one and we'll decide if we're going to do another one or not if we've got time. But uh, if you're a listener, feel free to check out the other podcasts on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Check out the website, capiche.online. That's K-A-P-W-E-S-H. We'll be back. There's plenty of uh, Bond ranking episodes as well as all the films ranked. So plenty to get into if you've not listened to them. And we will see you again. Thank you. Bye-bye.